writers, this community is, uh, the writing community is a super supportive community. And I think that um, you need to take advantage of that if you're a writer. If you belong to these groups, then then reach out and ask somebody for uh, recommendations or opinions. You don't have to take the advice if you don't like it or the recommendation, but it's there. People are really, if I'm happy with my editor and someone asks me who's a good editor, I'm going to recommend them. I'm not going to recommend somebody I'm not happy with. Hi, Joanne. How you doing? I'm good, Deb. How about you? Not bad. It's a bit of a blustery day here, but staying inside and staying warm. I had to laugh last night on the radio. The news announcer, uh, because it's raining here, they're calling it an atmospheric river. And I thought, these people really should be writers. <laughs> In the summer, we had a heat dome. And now oh, we're having wow. an atmospheric river. So, that yeah. is very descriptive. I like that. <laughs> I know. So why don't you go ahead and tell the listeners about yourself? Oh, thank you. Well, my name is Joanne McLean. I write under J.P. McLean, which are my initials. And that's because Joanne is spelled so many different ways. And I do want to be found when people go looking for me on the Internet. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking for me, it's J.P. McLean. Otherwise, it's Joanne. And if it's Joanne, then it's my mother and I'm in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) I understand that. A lot of people call me Joe. Um, Okay. So I write urban fantasy and supernatural thrillers. I've just put out my eighth book, which is the first in a new series. The other seven were all in the original Gift Legacy series. Mm -hmm. And I write full time from my home on a tiny little island called Denman, which is one of the northern Gulf Islands just off the coast of British Columbia in Canada. Nice. Sounds like a beautiful place. It is spectacular. Since you say like tiny little island, I mean, yes, I'm sold. (laughs) (laughs) Well, some people, you you really have to be careful what you wish for because we're ferry dependent. So um, Mm -hmm. it's really crazy weather, for example, and the ferries aren't going. Or if there's a problem with the ferry, you're not Mm going to get off the island. So yeah, it means no food, no, I don't know, gas, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's just well, I know, yeah. but there'll be no more food coming in. Is what I'm thinking. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> that's true. It's a very rural island. It's there's tons of farms here, so we've got you know pretty much anywhere oh, as you drive around the island. There's farm stands in the summertime. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, and there's people hang shingles out for organic uh, eggs and, mm-hmm. and pretty much any kind of food that you need or want. You can get just mm-hmm. driving around the island, which is really nice. That's and wonderful. You go to the store, the general store, and you can, it's our, it's our liquor store, our beer store, our general store, our post office, and our gas station. This sounds like a cozy mystery in the making. <laughs> Ooh, there could be a murder, a murder at the gas pump. <laughs> that's a horrible thing to wish. But yes, that's immediately where my writer brain went. <laughs> So I want to talk about the gift series first. Um, I was reading the blurb you had about it, and you didn't intend for this that to be a series, correct? That's true. That's true. I was writing a one-off book. I was just writing to see if that was something that I really wanted to do. Turns mm-hmm. out I did. Was that your first novel? It was. It was the first novel that I had written, and I had not... Uh, it, I, I did not intend to be a writer, and I am so glad I found it because I love writing, and I discovered that after I oh, finished. That's writing so that wonderful. 
I love writers who love writing. And, you know, sometimes if you, writing sometimes feels like a chore, but it's, so it's always refreshing to find the person that just, they love writing. It's my, it's my reward. Like if I am uh, procrastinating on doing something, and in my case, it's usually vacuuming because I can't stand vacuuming. Mm-hmm. So it's the dishes it's for my, me. <laughs> when it's my turn to vacuum, I, I will say, okay, Joanne, you, if you vacuum only half the house, I only do half at a time. I mm-hmm. do two days. If once I'm done half the house, I can sit down and write some more. Oh, that sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure that would work in my case. I've got the four and the five-year-old. So once I do the dishes, I can't automatically have that nice free time. I have to, I don't know, pick what up, whatever mess they just made while I was washing the dishes. I'm always amazed how um, people who have children and jobs can find the time to write because it is such a all-consuming task. Mm-hmm. So it's, I, I, I'm always yeah. amazed too. I yeah, never know how it happens. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know how it happens this year. This year, my oldest finally went to like physical school. So I have two hours to myself every morning and that's my writing time. That's I cool. don't do anything other than writing in that time because otherwise you're writing at nine o'clock at night and your brain's dead and you can't just it's horrible you erase half of it the next day oh absolutely writing at night is really hard after a whole Mm. day yeah you're Mm -hmm. exhausted yeah and just sometimes I i was talking to somebody else about this recently but sometimes i find when you when i write at night I'm less inhibited, like I'll go down those weird pathways, but the writing is also not as good, like technically not as good. So yeah. you always have to end up rewriting it again anyways. Yeah, yeah. I've been there, done that. <laughs> <laughs> so what about the the gift series? Like what about that? What was it about that first book that made you decide to turn it into a series? Well, after I finished writing it, um, I missed, I missed the characters. I missed writing. I wanted to do more of it. I, I just couldn't leave it alone. And I knew when I had, when I was putting that book together, I knew that those characters had more to say and they mm-hmm. had more to do. So, mm-hmm. um, so after I finished writing it, I started, I hadn't yet marketed it. I hadn't yet put it out because it went through a very long editing process being the first book. I rewrote it a number of times after mm-hmm. it some people to, to take a look at it. Anyway, right. um, I started writing the second book and I was just started making some notes about scenes that I imagined that would be in the book and the, the growth that the character would take from the beginning to the end and, mm-hmm. and a little bit about the storyline. And as I was doing that, um, I realized that I had more than a second book. I had three books. So I started okay. marketing it as a trilogy. Mm-hmm. Uh, for sure it was a trilogy mm-hmm. and I marked it as actually said it was called the gift trilogy when I first started okay and then um when I finished probably halfway through the second book and I knew I had notes on the third book I realized that I'd made another boo-boo another another mistake <laughs> I shouldn't have called it a trilogy I should have <laughs> called it a series <laughs> so that's when I rebranded it as a legacy um, it's now called The Gift Legacy, and I just kept going until I felt like I had said about as much as I could about the characters. So at the end of the sixth book, the series comes to an end, but I did leave some little little windows in there that I can open if I okay. choose. Right, like with a short road. story or something or something yes. along the lines. 
Yeah, there's a couple characters I don't flush out in that series that um, that I still could, and I am interested to do that. But um, but the thing that I did that that was a little different with that series is there are six books in the series. The seventh book is called Lover Betrayed, and that seventh book is actually a rewriting of the first book from a different character's perspective. Interesting. So the first, it, it was such fun to write. The first mm-hmm. book is, is Emmeline Taylor's first person account of, well, the whole series is her first person account of, mm-hmm. of what happens. And she has a lover in the first book whose name is Jackson Delaney. And okay. at the end of the book, um, not everyone will understand what motivated him to do what he did. And so reading his story fills in the backstory of what was going on in his head. Okay. And his story starts long before she comes into it and continues after they their relationship finishes. It continues beyond that that mm-hmm. book. Right. So and that in a large part of that um, second book takes place well not a large part, probably a third of it takes place in New Orleans. And I've never been to New Orleans. I would love to go. It's on my list, but man, I had fun researching that one. Really fun. I always love researching a place I haven't been to. And then were you worried? Sometimes I get worried, like I'm not doing it right. Because I don't know about you, but for some reason, a large part about knowing a place is knowing how it smells or, you know, stuff like that. And that was obviously missing. Were you worried about that at all? I actually... I actually Googled that because like, oh, yeah. like, like you, scent is critical. Mm-hmm. And so I did Google that. And I also knew some people who had been there. So I asked about it. The other thing um, are sounds. So mm-hmm. um, a girlfriend who had been there, she said, one of the things that you hear is jazz coming out of the bars along the streets. If you're walking mm-hmm. along a busy street, you'll hear the jazz coming out of the with the blues or whatever it is they're playing mm-hmm. right. everywhere and the scent of barbecue. Interesting. Yeah. I've, ne- then- well, I, I've never been to new Orleans. My husband has, we keep saying I, we're going to go as a family, but I guess I never connected. I mean, yes, Louisiana barbecue, but I never connected that to new Orleans for some reason. Yeah. Well, it just asked around, you know, and right. got other people's opinions. The other, the other scent was um, just that humid Southern scent. And sometimes, um, a floral undertone to, okay. to this scent. so interesting yeah. well i'm glad you fun. did that research like this the smell person part of me in, enjoys that about you yeah. <laughs> if that it, makes sense oh I, I i really do think that one of the best ways to bring a reader into a story is to invoke as many of those mm-hmm. senses as you can the crinkle of paper and the right smell of smoke and the touch right. and feel of something so I, the I insects in the background in. if you're in the country absolutely yeah mm-hmm. and so when I when I wrote that book I actually took the first book Secret Sky uh-huh. and I stripped away anything that wasn't either a conversation between those two characters or um, something that the two characters would both a scene where they were both in even right. if other characters were there stripped everything else away and then rewrote the story from the inside out from his perspective. And the fun part about that was I had never written a man's perspective before, written from mm-hmm. a man's perspective. So I found that super challenging. You know, mm-hmm. the, a lot of the times the um, the way a woman would describe something mm-hmm. is so different than the way a man would describe something. The Absolutely. Color, 
the word choices for color, the word mm-hmm. choices for sounds and scents even. Um, you know, a, a man would say smell, a woman would say scent. It's mm-hmm. in everything they say and do that's so different. And, and it's a real challenge. So I was always constantly asking my husband, how, <laughs> how would you describe this? Right. <laughs> It's green. <laughs> How does it smell? I don't care. <laughs> I was about ready to ask if you had like that, that dedicated reader who helped you out with that. Yes. Yes, I did. <laughs> so how long were you writing that? How long did you write that series for? It, I took about the first book probably took a year and a half. And thereafter, mm-hmm. each book took a year. So okay. It was a good seven, seven, eight years ish, probably. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. And during that time, I wrote some short stories as well. I was just Mm -hmm. in in, short stories are hard. Let me tell you, they're they're harder than novels. I 100% agree. I'm with you in that camp as well. Yeah, I just, (laughs) I just wrote a a small um, Christmas novella. I had won a cover. This is such an interesting story because I won a cover from this company uh, called Rocking Book Covers, and they do pre-made covers and all I put covers on all my short stories. Uh-huh. And and so I won one from them, and I knew I wanted to write a Christmas short story, uh, but I didn't know what I wanted to write about or anything. But I decided I would pick a Christmas cover, so I found a really pretty okay. Christmas cover. And then I'm terrible at titles, so a couple friends uh-huh. helped me brainstorm a title. So we we brainstormed Crimson Frost for the cover. Okay. And then, and then subtitle, Supernatural Noel. And then um, it took a while to write the book. I started twice to write. And mm-hmm. um, it, they were both, both stories were super dark and twisty. And my friends were saying, Joanne, this is very unchristmassy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but the writer and me saying, yes, that sounds amazing. <laughs> well, the third, the third attempt was better. It still involves a death first, you know, on Christmas Eve, mm-hmm. which is really you know, I guess that's kind of dark, but, um, yeah. but it took three but it, tries. It a story. You're supposed it. to have things like that. <laughs> anyway, I just put that one out yesterday. It's just a, it's just a little fun little novella, mm-hmm. fun Christmas thing. But yeah, so short stories keeps me busy. They, I, I find them difficult to do myself. It's because it's so hard to switch from going. You have all the space to just to lay out this elaborate plot, and suddenly you have X number of words to squeeze all of that in. Yeah, you have to limit the characters, number of characters, and limit the settings and mm-hmm. and all and of the that. dialogue. So and yeah, it's it's very hard to for me. It's very hard to condense it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you so, do flash fiction? I I have I uh well I call them drabbles but yes basically the same thing I try to every day just cut to as like my writing exercise to do just a little bit like I usually look on Tumblr Tumblr or something or Pinterest just something to flash give me an idea and then do like I don't know 500 words that's really good practice super mm-hmm. good practice yeah I find it helps the creativity in me it's also like um telling my kids bedtime stories just uh-huh. that just you know stuff that you that i'm i'm not currently writing that is out of my genre out of the story i think it's really good for creativity just to to write about something else to tell a story about something else yeah well it's interesting because pretty much everything i have written is all supernatural even my short stories (laughs) well i mean there's always gonna be genre (laughs) (laughs) well i don't tell my kids supernatural stories i mean the kids stories are are less dark but yeah i I do tend to go like in a a dark direction myself like right now i'm outlining a cozy mystery and my husband's reading over the outline is like 
this isn't really much of a mystery. This sounds more like a thriller. And I'm like, oh, I missed the mark. Cozy thriller. <laughs> that That's kind of what we're, we're, we're labeling it right now. <laughs> so you lived in the heads of the gift characters for, let's, let's say, seven, eight years. So I'm assuming it was difficult to switch to a new series. Super, super difficult. <clears throat> I had... It, it, I did want to try something. I wanted to stretch my writer muscle with mm -hmm. the new series. So um, when I was thinking about the characters, I, well, it's two parts of it. It's not only the story, mm -hmm. it's, the, it's the story, the characters and the writing and, mm -hmm. or the characters, because I knew I wanted them to be different. They're physically different. Mm -hmm. There's new characters, a little bit older than the other characters. 25 isn't that much older. Um, it's still set in Vancouver, but I made her quite a bit different um, family-wise. She comes from, she's adopted and comes, or she's abandoned at birth, so she doesn't have a family. Uh, she's adopted out, her family dies. Uh, so she's she's got a pretty, pretty crushing mm -hmm. uh, childhood, whereas Emmeline had, you know, the golden childhood kind of thing. Right. And, and then I, physically they're different. You know, one is you know, their hair is different. Their coloring is different. Their everything about them that way is different. Um, but the writing of it, I decided I was going to get out of the first person perspective and stretch myself and or first person point of view and write it in third person point of view. Mm -hmm. So the, the new story that just came out, which is Bloodmark, is third person from three people's perspectives. So it's the main character who is uh -huh. Jane and then her roommate, Sadie. Mm -hmm. And then this other shady character named Rick that we don't really know much about. We're just hearing his story. Right. And so that was very different for me and challenging as a writer to, to do that perspective. And also it's got a bit of time slip in it. So getting the order of events to make sense to the reader was really hard. I, I actually <laughs> thought I had it finished. It went to the right. last edit portion and the editor luckily pointed out your timeline's wrong here. Thank God for editors. I tell uh, you. They are a lifesaver. I had to reorder a number of chapters, you know, kind of at the last minute. So I, yeah, thank God for editors. Yeah. So your first series, you didn't know it was going to be a series. Did you know from the beginning of Bloodmark that it was going to be a series or have you yeah. planned it to be like X number of books? Yeah, I haven't, I'm not making that mistake again. <laughs> I'm not going to call it a trilogy or a duology or anything like that. But I do know that there are two books for sure. I've actually outlined a second book and I've started writing it. Uh, I think there's a third story, but mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know yet. There are a few things that I think could carry over. But if I get, if I get into the telling of this second story and I can't see a clear path to a third one, I won't, I won't write a third one. I like to make sure that each book that I write is a really satisfying read. Right. So, uh, there's a, That's the goal a, of any writer, I think. Yeah. So, <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> well, I don't want to shortchange a second book in order uh -huh. to bring a third book in. So I understand. Yeah. That, that's what I mean by that. So I, I won't go to a third if it's not there. And right now I can see part of a third, but I can't see the whole third. So we'll wait and see. So I'm, okay. I'm calling it a series. I'm calling okay. it a Bloodmark series. Yeah. So the second book is tentatively titled Ghostmark. And the okay. third one, just for joke, the third one's called Question Mark. 
I, I enjoy that. <laughs> um, well, that sort of brings me to it to another question. Um, you, you so you, you wrote the first book, obviously outlined it, and then you're you're working on the second one. How do you how do you plan your series like when you're doing the gift and then also with this one? Do you do an overarching outline for threads to pull together in different of the different novels? I I actually did not outline the first story. Um, oh, really? Secret Sky. I did not. I and and I have. I do now outline. I kind of learned mm-hmm. that I'm not the kind of person that cannot outline. There are people that are very successful at it, but not me. Mm-hmm. But when I did that first book. Um, I started with a scene, just one scene that was kind of plaguing me and it was in my head and I wanted to mm-hmm. get it down in writing and see if I could make sense of it. And it was right. a supernatural scene of a, a woman jumping off a deck and flying down the coast. So that was that first scene. And I built the story out from there. But what happens when you write like that is you write yourself into these blind corners where you think you're going somewhere and you end up not being able to get out of it. Right. So you waste a whole bunch of time. And the Mm -hmm. other thing that I did was after I had the first very, very rough draft of that first story, what I found was um, when the editor came back to me and said, I don't think you should start it here. I think you should start it here. And here was halfway through the book. I thought, oh, my God, how am I going to get all of this backstory into Mm -hmm. the story without making it feel awkward? So if I had an outline it would have been easier. And what I ended up doing was outlining the book that I had to change in order for me to see it clearly and see where I needed to move stuff to and from. And I could do that with an outline because I couldn't keep the whole book in my head. Right. So now I do outline and I do think about um, the story arc in the first book, because I didn't know I was continuing on, I did not have an overarching story arc, but As I was writing the second and third books, I could see the overarching story arc had to do Mm -hmm. with a group of people that control them, the tribunal that controls the flying people. Okay. And and so then I I knew once I got into it, what the overall story arc was going to be. And I knew how it was all going to end. Even when I was writing the third book, I had the ending of the series in my head. Nice. That's always helpful when that happens. It worked out well because I could then insert exciting events and climactic things that would happen that would end a story end a book and mm-hmm. still leave people curious like yeah know? but what happened about this yeah i yeah, yeah. i get that yeah. and so for this one um the new one i i did know starting how i wanted it to start how i wanted the characters to grow and how they'd end up so Sadie and Jane both go through changes at the end of that story. They both have grown in significant ways. Um, But there are still some things left undone that aren't critical. But when you think about it in terms of the next book, there's an overarching. And it's really hard to talk about without spoiling the book. there's, There's something that happens in that book that is devastating. And it's not fixable. So it's not okay. something you can go back and fix. And so in the, I, I already know in the second book, that's going to be the challenge is she'll be given an opportunity to fix something and she mm-hmm. has to make a decision. So I already know that her, what her growth is going to be. I haven't completely got Sadie's growth pattern down yet, but I'll have it. It's kind of halfway there. Okay. And, and I can tell 
Like I, the second story. So I do know now, and I'm just starting writing it. I do know mm -hmm. how that story arc is going to end. Okay. I just don't know whether it's going to be two books or three books. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so is it hard going from Emmeline's being in Emmeline's head to going to Jane's head? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes do you find I'm... yourself slipping sometimes? Yes. My biggest fear with this book was that I was making the character too much like Emmeline. And when it went out to the beta readers, the first edition of it, uh, I asked them to pay special attention to that because I didn't want this character to sound like Emmeline. Mm -hmm. And I hope she doesn't. It's really hard not to do that, though, because I have I have patterns in speech. Like when mm -hmm. I was writing the first book, um, somebody came, I, I can't remember who it was, said to me, you say a bit a lot, like you look a little bit tired or that's a little mm -hmm. bit too big. You, a bit it's bad. hard. That's one of the challenges of being a writer. It's hard mm -hmm. to overcome that. Yeah. I had to go back. I went back through the, through the first book and, and did a seek for like a search for a bit. Mm -hmm. And what I ended up doing is giving that to Emmeline and Emmeline only. And I took it away from everybody else so that. Okay. So it was a quirk of Emmeline and not in her, the yes. other side characters. Yeah. And so that's the kind of thing that I'm aware of in this next book is I try to give Jane and Sadie things that are just theirs. Mm -hmm. Give them unique Emmeline. voices. Yeah. Yeah. It's just one little thing, but uh, I hope I've done it. I don't know. I'll have to get other people to tell me whether they... Think Jane's like I don't think she is, but well, as someone who has read at least a quarter of both books last night, um, I don't think they sound alike. Good. Oh, thank goodness. They, 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 they feel like two separate people to me. Oh, good. As I'm a reader, so <laughs> that was real important to me. It was one of the things going into this because, in many ways, this this new book, Bloodmark, in many ways, that book feels like my second book. I, I, you know, I understand that because yeah. it is like the de a departure because like I could see like your series just being one really long book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's true. When you see them all stacked up, though, that's a big book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I don't want to think about the word count on that. <laughs> it's funny. I did count up my words. I'm almost at a million words published. Oh, really? I am because the books are quite long. Like they're uh -huh. usually 100,000, 90 to 100,000 each. And there's eight of them now, plus the novella. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's like well, 950. Wow. Oh. Milestone. Congratulations. Imagine how many you've actually written and then deleted and edited out. I mean, you're oh. well past a million at this point. I bet. I bet. Yeah. Because that first <laughs> book had a lot rewritten. <laughs> Way a lot. Oh my gosh. Uh backing up just a little bit, you, ha you said something that caught my attention. Um, you sent it out to the beta readers. Uh, do you use beta readers for every novel? I, I use them for everything I write. Well, not my blog post, <laughs> but I do. And I do all the published have, work. The first, the first book, um, they were mostly, uh, you know, they're friends and family and stuff. Now mm -hmm. I have um, a, a dedicated group of people that, um, I split into uh, I split into two or three groups depending on how much time I have. What mm -hmm. I like to do is after I've done the first draft that I'm comfortable with. So I've been through it already a couple of times. Mm -hmm. At that point, I send it out to the first two or three people and get their general feedback on it. And they generally come back with 
super, super good information. Usually this was slow. This was too fast. I didn't understand mm-hmm. this. The That's excellent. That's what that. you need them to do. Exactly. So then I fixed that stuff up. And then I generally send it to the developmental editor at that point. So they mm-hmm. take a bigger look at it again and they tell right. me what chapters are working and what aren't and what scenes are working and what aren't. And then I, so I work all that into it and then I send it to, to two or three more beta readers. Okay. And get their feedback. And usually the feedback that comes back at that point is smaller stuff like, you know, sentence structure, not sentence structure, but you know, you've used this word in the last sentence or mm-hmm. this is awkward or right. um, use he too many times rather than saying yeah. their name. Yeah. Yeah. So then it goes to a uh, copy editor okay. and the copy editor is the one that reminds me that, um, I think I know English, but I really don't. <laughs> don't editors make, I don't know. Editors make me feel stupid sometimes. I know. I can't believe it. The sea of red that comes in. And then this last one, Joanne, do you realize your timeline's off? What? <laughs> so... Um, I, but I've, I've sure learned a lot. I learn more from editors than I've learned from any book I've picked up on writing. Mm-hmm. Way more. Because they're looking at your words and the way you've expressed yourself. Right. And it's not some dry material that you didn't write, that you're not invested in. Mm-hmm. So when you learn it from an editor, you really learn it. Right. And it's also developing your, your own voice. Like yeah. they're just help, A good editor will help you refine your voice, make it more clear. Absolutely. Absolutely. I feel very blessed. I've had uh, two super editors. One took me right through the whole gift legacy. And then I just like I wanted to stretch my writing muscle. I also Mm -hmm. wanted to try a different editor to see if I could learn new and different Mm -hmm. things on new editors. So I did that with this book. And again, I feel like I, you know, hit the jackpot Two super good um, developmental editors. I usually use the same copy editor through the whole thing because she's so good and consistent with my writing. Where do you where do you find your beta readers and editors? Are you going on a service like Readsy or are you going somewhere else? I I get it through word of mouth. Uh, okay. It's a recommendation usually. And um, I belong to a number of writing groups, as I'm sure all the mm-hmm. writers here do. Right. And I ask, I ask around. So I, I want to know that somebody's had a good experience with their beta readers or their editors and mm-hmm. that they're interested and want to do it and are able to give that feedback. So that's how I get them. I still have uh, I still have a cousin who does uh, some some data reading for me, and she's a hoot. When she doesn't send the book back, I know she doesn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> she just goes quiet, <laughs> right? Quiet. Tell me what's wrong. So, um, but for the most part, I I, um, I ask around. Word of mouth is is absolutely critical to me in in finding editors, copy editors, and beta readers. Writer, this community is, uh, the writing community is a super supportive community. And I think that um, you need to take advantage of that if you're a writer. Mm -hmm. If you belong to these groups, then then reach out and ask somebody for uh, recommendations or opinions. You don't have to take the advice if you don't like it or the recommendation, but it's there. People are really, if I'm happy with my editor and someone asks me who's a good editor, I'm going to recommend them. I'm not going to recommend somebody I'm not happy with. I, I absolutely agree. Just like, and I just, I feel like the writing community in general, I feel like they always want to help the other person get better too. I don't, I don't know what makes the writing community so special, but it feels like everyone is always trying to make everyone else better. Oh, completely. And they, you know, have you tried this service or that service? Like mm-hmm. I, I wanted right. to 
the reviews that I have. And so people have, well, have you tried Hidden Gems? Have you tried Book Sprout? So there are a number mm-hmm. of companies out there that I didn't know about until these people said, because if you go on the internet, you just say, you know, give me a review. What's the best review company? You don't know what you're getting. Right. You just get this random algorithm telling you, and you want actual people in your peer group, maybe even also in your genre group, helping right. you find the best people. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the best way to do it is just reach out, ask, join groups. If you're not in the groups, join them. Find them where join where them. do you, where do you, uh, where are your groups located? Are they Facebook groups? Are they other online groups? Are they in-person groups? I've got uh, one in-person group on this island. We have a lot of writers. So there's a critique group here on the island. Nice. And then there's a subgroup of the critique group. So there's two women on that, um, in that writer's group that critique all of my writing word for word. And then I have two writer friends that are Mm -hmm. in once. uh, Well, they're both now in BC, but they're in the interior. So we Zoom once a week. Okay. And talk about our writing and share our writing and they have their great resources for me as well. I'm also a member of the creative Academy, which is uh, a group that's based in Vancouver, but they have members from all over uh, North America. And that that's a free group to join. And they're a terrific resource. And they do ask uh, that you donate if you can to keep mm-hmm. the doors open, but right. they have a tremendous resource. It's called the creative Academy. And they have a, a tremendous resource library of videos built up on everything from how to advertise, how to use MailChimp, how to use MailerLite. It's just an unbelievable resource that is uh, just a bunch of really supportive writers um, in that group. So that's the other one. And then I belong to a number of Facebook groups as well um, in different genres, some for BC writers and editors and others that are just uh, fantasy based or like genre um, specific. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, back, I remembered what my, my question was going to be before. Um, how did you come up with, with the blood mark with Jane's storyline? Was it something that you cut from the gift or was it just something just unique and came to you otherwise? It was unique. It, it wasn't at all gift related. It was um, a scene that I that stuck in my head. It's the opening scene to Blind Spot, which is an NBC production. And it I don't think it's on anymore, but the opening scene of that series was a duffel bag had been dropped in Times Square and they thought it was a bomb. And so they sent this bomb tech in to unzip the bag. And as he starts to unzip it, it unzips itself. And out of the bag stands up this woman who is naked, tattooed Mm -hmm. from the neck down extensively. I remember like a trailer or something about that. And she doesn't remember how she got the tattoos or when or why. She doesn't know who she is. She's just like her mind's a blank. Mm -hmm. And when I saw that scene, it stuck with me. And I've since gone back and reviewed it on YouTube just to make sure I remembered it correctly. (laughs) And I did. Because I thought to myself, how must it be like to live with that? Mm-hmm. It must be difficult if it wasn't your choice. Right. And so that was kind of the germ, the beginning of, uh, of blood mark. And then, of course, I, I had to go looking for some, uh, I wanted some ancient lore t- attached mm-hmm. to it so that I could explain it in a, in a way that was plausible, uh, that would, you know, convince some people that, I wonder if that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I just got to that part in your story, so I know what you're talking about. <laughs> now, now, do the two series stand on their own, or are they inside the same universe in your head? 
No, they stand alone. They're in the same setting. Like I have, mm-hmm. I have set them both in Vancouver. That's a conscious choice I make because I love Vancouver so much. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do put them in the same city, but no, they're, they're as separate as can be. I didn't even have any overlap. I could have, you know, I mm-hmm. could have taken a character and made them a cameo in, right. in this, but I, I chose not to. I suppose I still can in future books, but mm-hmm. you no, know, my goal was to make something completely different. Okay. Um, has have writing a second series taught you anything new about writing that you hadn't discovered? Or anything new about yourself as a writer? Um, has it taught me something new? It certainly taught me how to write effectively in third person. That's a new skill I mm-hmm. picked up through the writing of this book because I hadn't written anything in that. Um, I suppose it's also opened up for me the potential of writing from different characters' perspectives because it was so one-sided. The first book books are all from Emmeline's perspective and only her right. perspective. It's a very narrow line of sight through the whole story. Yes, yes. And and lots of opportunity. Well, I guess in the in the third person you have the opportunity to introduce more information. Mm-hmm. In a, in a Especially more jumping jumping points of view like you do. Yeah. So that's that's all stuff that I've learned. Um, I did find it to be difficult and challenging. And um, more than once, I had to kind of get up and walk around and mm-hmm. take a break from it so that um, I didn't erase everything. <laughs> <laughs> I've had those moments. I feel like a lot of my, especially the supernatural stories start out first person, and then I usually end up switching to third person. It's just probably the one I'm more comfortable with. Um, and I think I, I might I don't know. Your story is making me think, well, maybe next time I should try first person, see if I can stick it through. Yeah. Yeah. I think with the first person, the challenge is getting the information in. Um, Mm -hmm. And you can only do so much, um, you know, making the other characters not repeat back stuff back because you would never say, oh, do you mean that time that you and I went to, you know, you can't do that. But, Mm -hmm. But there are opportunities for, um, for other people to introduce information mm-hmm. if you get it. And in third person, you don't have to do that. Because, you know, you, yeah, because you have that omnip, omnipotent, I, that, that, the, the, the overarching yes. view down where you can show that little stuff and not yes. just, like I said, that narrow blinder way of looking at things. Because you're right, in the first person, there are very limited ways you can introduce new information yeah. to the character. They have to basically, I don't know, witness it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I did in the very beginning of Bloodmark, I've got some chapters in there where Sadie is uh, bringing in some of Jane's background and Jane brings mm-hmm. in Sadie's background. You know, I enjoyed that. I, I, I did. I read that part and I thought that was a really nice touch. I like that you didn't cram all of Jane's stuff into Jane's storyline that you saw some of it through an outsider point of view. And then you kind of assumed you knew how Jane felt about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was the fun part about writing this book. That was, Mm -hmm. it was easier to do. It's harder to do in first person. Mm -hmm. It really is difficult to get that Mm -hmm. all in there without it sounding like you're preaching or. Right. That's probably why I always walk away from it. I can never (laughs) seem to get all the way through it. (laughs) Well, 
we are starting to wrap up here on our hour. Um, my final question, what's your writing excuse today? Why are oh, you not writing? Good question. I, I do have a valid excuse. If mm-hmm. I get my hall pass, on my hall pass it is, I, I had a meeting earlier today. Uh, this is my first year as chairperson of our uh, Denman Museum and Activity Center building. It's a, it's a, uh, it's a society. It's a charity mm-hmm. society, but there's a gym there and people can rent the kitchen and stuff. And I've never okay. done the AGM before. So this was the meeting to prep for the AGM, which is on Saturday. <clears throat> okay. So, but it's all by Zoom because we've had an outbreak here um, of COVID okay. on the island. So mm-hmm. people aren't getting together. So it'll be on Zoom and it's going to be really interesting to see how that how I manage that and how I do the, you know, I need a motion, I need a second, and then you have to, you know, there's procedures you need to follow. And I don't right. know what they all are yet. <laughs> so that's what I was doing this morning. Well, I'm assuming you're going to find out soon enough. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, it has been a pleasure talking to you. You were a wonderful guest. Oh, you! it's been a pleasure talking to you too. I'm getting to know you a little bit more. Yes. And as one of my newly recent favorite authors, I'm just kind of like, yeah, I got to talk to that person. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) That's so nice. Very kind of you to say. Read and Write Podcast is edited and produced by Deborah Zebarth. Music was provided by Lo-Fi Girl and can be found at lofigirl.com or on their YouTube channel. Audio effects were created by Red Octopus and Black River Phonogram. Show notes and previous episodes can be found at readandwritepodcast.com. And that's it. Thank you for listening to the show. If you like what you're hearing, make sure to rate, read, and write on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. If you have a suggestion for a future episode, drop me a line. I'm always open to suggestions. Also, did you know that Read and Write publishes three episodes a week? Check out the podcast's YouTube channel for Write With Me Monday's live streams and 30-second book reviews on Fridays.